Good morning, everybody. Happy Easter to you. If you've never uh, met me before, my name is Peter Smith. I'm one of the guys on staff here. And we're just so glad that you decided you could have done a bunch of different things this morning. And we're glad that you came here with us. It's Easter at Calvary. And so that means uh, a couple of things, right? The first thing, and I know some of you have probably never been in here before, but, but here's the deal. On Easter, one thing that it means is this. That Easter Sunday morning, I reach way, way, way far into my closet, and I find a suit, all right? <clears throat> and it's usually dusty, so I have to lie, right? And so, um, if you were here last week, I did not have on a suit. If you come back next week, I will not have on a suit. It will probably be 25 degrees outside, so I'll have on some jeans and a sweater. But uh, for Easter, right, well, I throw on a suit for Easter Sunday, and another thing, here at Calvary Church that we do on Easter is we do what Christians for centuries and for thousands and thousands of years have done together on this morning. On this morning, on Easter Sunday, in churches all around the world, there is a person in the front of the church who is either wearing a suit or wearing a robe or wearing skinny jeans with a flannel shirt untucked, and that person in the front of the church says some words, and then the people who are out there say some other words, okay? So, so don't jump your cue. Let me just make sure we all know what we're going to do, right? I am going to say, he is risen, and then we're going to do what all sorts of people in all sorts of churches have done already this morning, you are then going to uh, say, he is risen indeed. Ready? So I'm he is risen, you are he is risen indeed, and I have confidence in you. The first service was packed out, right? Folks everywhere. And they did, they did a pretty good job doing this back. But you've gotten a little extra sleep. You've gotten some more coffee. So I already know you're going to be able to do this louder and more vibrant than that service. Ready? So let's do what we do at Easter Calvary. Let's do what people around the world have done and are doing this morning. Ready? He is risen. <clears throat> B plus. Okay? 
we're going to go for the A this morning. Ready? He, don't make me do this all day because I got a ham in the oven. I got to get out. So, <clears throat> all right, ready? He is risen. Oh, man, you put that first service to shame. There, they should be embarrassed. They should come back for a third service and try to do it better. So, uh, well, thanks for being here. We're just going to spend a few minutes together um, opening up God's Word and thinking about some things. But before we do that, uh, let me pray, and then we'll press into what God has. Father, we're grateful, again, to be here today. We're grateful um, that this is a day of hope and a day of celebration. It's a day when uh, we remember and we think about the historical moment where a guy came back to life. And we're grateful um, for the confidence that that gives to us. And so you know where we are, Father. You know what we are going through in our lives and the challenges we face and the good things and the hard things. And I pray that through your spirit and through what we look at this morning, Father, that this will be a time of encouragement and celebration and joy uh, that you will work for all of us in this room. And we want Jesus to be honored and glorified as we celebrate and remember him this morning. It's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. Well, uh, <clears throat> in a few hours, uh, we're going to have some different people over to our house for Easter dinner. We're going to have my folks who are going to come down, and my wife's going to have some of her coworkers together. And if you were to go to my house right now, and you were to walk into my house, you, you would look and you would open the door and you would smell some delicious ham wafting into your nostrils. You would look and you would see kitchen counters that were clean and clear. You would see no dishes piled. You would walk into the house and you would not have dog hair wafting around everywhere. You would walk into the house and you would see a table that has some flowers on it. And some napkins and placemats and place settings and knives and forks and cups. Uh, my daughter is getting married in a very short time. And so we've been having uh, tons. Of, yes, one person's excited about that thing. We've had... <clears throat> We've had, we've had tons of different boxes and wedding presents come, and man, our house has looked like literally like an Amazon distribution center. There's stuff everywhere, right? But if you walked into my house now, you would not see any of that. You would not see any boxes strewn around. It would be a beautiful, pristine, some Easter eggs around environment in which you would walk into. But... If you had come and knocked on my door yesterday about 2 o'clock, you would not have had the same experience. Because if you had come and knocked on our door at 2 o'clock yesterday, you would have walked into a place where not only would you have had dog hair all over you, but there would have been a dog who had been jumping to attack you. It would not have been a nice, clean table all set up for guests to come. It would have been a table with like half-eaten Easter egg candy on it, some bills we haven't opened for about three months, right? Some leftover crumbs or something, the countertops would not have been clean and shiny. They were covered with all sorts of food. There were about 47,000 dishes that had to be cleaned. There were boxes piled everywhere. There were open boxes, closed boxes, right? It was a very different scene that you would have walked into, right? Yesterday, if you, today, if you were to walk to my house, what you would see is the after moment, but man, there was a before moment that looked nothing like the after that you would experience today. I don't have any pictures of that before and after contrast, but I do have uh, some pictures of some different before and after moments to kind of share with us and to work through uh, this morning. So a couple of before and afters, right? My house was a before and after, but here is a picture of 
the president of the United States, a former president. Anybody know who this gentleman is? Huh? So much smarter than the first service. So much smarter. This is a president of the United States. This is a before and after picture. And this is Abraham Lincoln, very, you know, when he first, like, came into office. Before. This is a photo of Abraham Lincoln after uh, the Civil War was drawing down. And it's this moment before a man is trying to navigate this incredibly divisive moment in a country. And this is the after showing the toll that that had put on the person. Another before and after picture is the city of New Delhi. New Delhi is a hugely populated city. Uh, There's lots of traffic. And on the left side here is a picture of New Delhi before 2020. On most average days before 2020, here is what the city of New Delhi looked like. But after 2020, after COVID, after lockdowns, after no traffic, after industry had shut down, man, the pollution had dissipated. And there weren't cars driving and traffic and pollution. And so, man, the pollution cleared away. It's a before and it's an after moment. Don't put this next one on the screen first. But if you are a product of the great, if you grew up in the greatest decade that has ever existed in the history of humanity, and the greatest decade that has ever existed in the history of humanity are the 1980s. Come on! Everybody who's like 20 is like, man, I ain't never come back to this church of old people again. Okay. But in the 1980s, if you were like me growing up, and man, if you grew up in the tri-state area, and you'd be watching your TV, and you'd be watching the $6 million man, which is the best show ever in the history of TV, there would be commercials that come on, and you would see a commercial with this fine gentleman's face on it, and you can pop it. And this, I think the dude's name is Cy Sterling or something like that, okay? And you'd be watching the $6 million man and this dude would come on and he'd be like, hey, I'm Cy Sterling. And here is a before, right? But then there's an after. And the after for this guy over here is what you would hear is, hey, I'm Cy Sterling and I'm the founder of the Hair Club for Men. And I'm not only its founder, but I'm its first client, right? This is a picture of your friend and mine, Cy Sterling, after, before, oh boy, looked like this. After his experience with the hair club for men, this is what my man looked like. Now, as a kid, I'm like, dude, you got on some nasty wig, like you're not fooling me with all this nonsense, right? But before and after. And then we got one more before and after to think about this morning, and here's the before and after. Here's a young child on his first day of school. (laughs) You already know where this is going, right? This is the morning as his mom said, Billy, go put on your backpack and let's take a picture. And we'll take a picture of your first day of school every day until you're like 97, I'll still make you come. And he is happy, he's excited. Guess what, here's the same young boy at the end of that first day of school. Before the first day, and after the first day. And in each of these realities, in each of these things, whether it's my house uh, before or after, whether it is Abraham Lincoln, whether it's New Delhi, whether it is Cy Sterling with his no hair, lots of hair, whether it's this young boy, there was something that was before and then there was an after. There was a before and there was an after. And in between those two things, there was this intervening moment 
that changed their experience. There was something that they experienced or something that they went through that took them from the before to the after. And the fact that they had one experience in their before and the second experience in their after shows that there was something that happened between those two things that moved them from one reality, one experience, to another experience. In all of our lives and all of our stories, we have befores and we have afters. And what comes wedged between those before and those afters are an intervening reality that changes the direction, changes our experience, changes the trajectory from our before to our after. And the fact that we end up in an after that's different from the before in our own story shows that something's happened in that middle space to alter things, to redirect things. Whether you believe in Jesus, whether you believe in Christianity, whether you believe in God or not, wherever you are spiritually, that is a reality for all of us. And so what we're going to do in just a few minutes together today is we're going to look at a story of a person that's woven throughout the Easter story. And we're going to think about a before moment and an after moment. And we're going to think about what came in between those two moments to alter and to change the trajectory and the course and the direction. What changed it for his story, and what does that have to do in our own stories for you and me today? So the person we're going to look at is a dude named Peter, okay? Peter is a guy in the Bible. Uh, He ended up being a leader in a lot of churches. He actually wrote some letters that have become parts of the Bible. But Peter was a guy who was hanging out in uh, Israel at the time, and he was a commercial fisherman. He had a family business, and he and his family had worked really, really hard to build up this business over time, and it was successful and was thriving. And then one day he encountered Jesus, and Jesus was like, hey, bro, I'd love to kind of teach you some things. And so Peter kind of left his business behind and started following Jesus. Peter was a really smart, savvy, successful businessman, right? Tons of of intellect and how to run a business. And Peter was a guy who the industry that he was in that day as a commercial fisherman was kind of a blue-collar, hard-working guy. Peter's a blue-collar, get up early in the morning, work hard all day, tons of smarts of how to run a business. And Peter, back in the day, if you were having a bar fight, Or if you ever had to go knuckles and fisticuffs with somebody in the docks when you're cleaning the nets, man, Peter was the dude that you wanted to have your back because he was bold. He had a little swagger. He, you know, there's stories of him mixing it up with people. Peter was the guy that you wanted to have there. And in the days before Easter, these guys have been following Jesus for several years now, and they come into Jerusalem, and as they come into Jerusalem after these years, they have all sorts of expectations on that day before Easter about what Jesus is going to do and what he's going to be. We are entering, getting on the verge of another election cycle. I won't say anything else about that, right? We're getting on the verge of an election cycle, and we're starting to hear on Twitter or whatever news feed you follow, uh, different people who are announcing they're going to run for office, right? Announcing their candidacy for president. And when that happens, when people announce their candidacy for president, it's usually a big hoopla. They usually go back to their hometown and they go to someplace that's significant in their story and they have family and they have these signs and they have balloons and they either have like Bruce Springsteen 
born in the USA or lean Greenwoods, like proud to be an American. And they get up and there's this huge announcement where they're in that place and they're in that space. And they say, man, I am planting a flag in the ground today. I am running for office. I'm announcing my candidacy. And there's fireworks and old ladies cry and everybody's like, okay, whatever, right? But it's a big deal when people announce their political candidacy. And When Jesus came into town that day and Peter was with him, what people thought Jesus was doing was, and in fact he was coming in town to kind of announce his candidacy. But not as a president, not as a senator, but to kind of finally come into town to say, hey everybody, I am announcing myself. I am coming in an official way to say that I am going to be a political leader. I am going to be a king. And Peter and his boys thought, man, Jesus is rolling into Jerusalem to be a king. And they thought that Jesus was going to come into town before Easter, a few days before Easter, and he was going to make the first step in taking charge in his kingdom. He thought there, Peter thought there were going to be initiatives, there were going to be take charge, that things were going to happen when Jesus comes into town to announce that he was king and started to act as the king. And on the Thursday night before Easter, Peter and some guys and Jesus with these expectations in their mind were having dinner together. And they were having this dinner and they were Jewish people, so they were celebrating the Passover. And for years, and even in the months leading up to Easter, Jesus had been talking a lot about death and about sacrifice and about him being killed. And Peter and the boys are like, dude, this is just static. And he was repeating those ideas again, and after they had dinner together, Jesus was like, hey, you know what, I'm going to go away, and I'm going to spend some time myself, and I'm going to pray, and I want you to come with me. And on that night, the Thursday before Easter, the Roman SWAT team showed up, and they arrested Jesus. They, they arrested Jesus, they circled Jesus, they put him in cuffs, and they hauled him off to prison. And in that moment, Peter was like, whoa wait, this isn't part of the script. Like the script for me following Jesus was success, power, trajectory of, you know, my life going in a better direction and in comfort. And he's sitting here and he's realizing that this leader that he'd been following is literally now being dragged away by the authorities of that day. And in that moment, as Peter's watching that occur, What was Peter like? What did he do? Well, in many ways, Peter was like my amazing yellow lab, Ford. Do you all know that I have a yellow lab named Ford? Some of you have been accosted by my yellow lab, Ford. I have a very lovable yellow lab named Ford. And, And here's the reality in our house that every, I don't know, a couple times a week, we'll be in the kitchen or we'll be watching TV or we'll be doing whatever we're doing and there will be this, like, this, this burst of yellow lab. There will be this flash of a yellow lab that goes like, and Ford will all of a sudden sprint through whatever room we're in, and he will like slide under a table. He will either slide under a kitchen table or a coffee table or a dining room table. And in that moment, when that happens, that means that Ford has one of three things in his mouth. Okay? In that moment, when Ford does this little takeoff and run deal, Ford either has somebody's shoe, he has eaten more Javiana flip-flops or Target flip-flops than we can even count. Old boy either has somebody's shoe in his mouth that he's nibbling on, or he's got a sock. Socks are not good because the rumor is they're going to cost me about $6,000 at the vet and 
<laughs> that ain't happening, right? So, <laughs> right? He's either got a shoe or he's got a sock or the most dreaded thing at all. When fa- I can tell somebody right now is emailing me. I cannot believe that a pastor of the church doesn't love your dog enough to pay $42,000 to heal him. Well, that's another conversation. But worst possible thing that Ford can have in his mouth is this. Ready? The Apple TV remote. I know, because that thing is like $42,000. I do not know why our dog is obsessed with the Apple TV remote, but he loves to grab that thing and nibble on it, which is not helpful. Every two to three days, Ford is hanging out, but then all of a sudden there will be where he just takes off from wherever he is and sprints to another place, and he gets under the thing, and he does that because he doesn't want us to see him. He, he doesn't want to get caught in that moment, right? Obviously, he's not the smartest dog. Because it's like, bro, if you don't want us to see us, don't go sprinting past us to the table. But in that moment, when Ford doesn't want to be noticed, when Ford doesn't want to be seen, when Ford doesn't want to be caught, what he does in that moment is dude takes off running. Dude takes off running. And on the night before, on this Thursday night, Part of the way Peter responded in this moment is he did just what Ford did, and Peter took off running. One of the biographers of Jesus records these words about what happens on that night. It said, talks about Jesus being arrested, and then it says this, then all the disciples left him and fled. Peter hightailed it away from Jesus because he didn't want to get caught up in it too. And in the the following minutes and hours, Peter did a lot of different things, ongoing things in these before moments. Peter always used to be at the center of the action. Whenever there's something about Jesus going on, Peter's there. But we see in this moment, look what it tells us that Peter does in this moment. Instead of being at the center of the action, we read these words. Right? Then all the disciples loved him. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And the next few verses tell us what Peter. And Peter, right, Peter wasn't like at his side. Peter wasn't like, Jesus, I got your back. Peter wasn't like, man, I'm going to bust in there and tase some people and knock some heads. What Peter's doing is following him at a distance. Peter has taken off running, like scattering, like bad guys when the police show up. And then Peter, once Jesus has hauled off, Peter's starting like, well, I'm going to kind of see what happens, but he's following Jesus in the shadows, not being noticed. Then Peter doesn't want to get too close to him. And so we see what happens next is Jesus is led away for a hearing. It says this, now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, didn't go into the hearing with Jesus. He's outside of the, the outside of the courthouse in that day. He's kind of hiding. He's trying to blend in through the crowd. He was sitting outside the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilee. But he denied it before them saying, man, I don't know what you mean. Then Peter has another conversation. And when he went to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, hey, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath saying, I don't know the man. 
And then there's one more final conversation after a little while. The bystanders came up to him and said, look, certainly you're also one of them for your accent betrays you. And Peter says in this moment, right, then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear and to say, I don't know the man. In the moment after Jesus' arrest as part of Peter's before, took off running. Then he starts to kind of follow Jesus a little bit, but he doesn't really want to be close to Jesus. And then in this moment when he's asked three different times, hey, aren't, don't you know Jesus? Didn't I see you hanging out? He's like, bro, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know the dude. Never seen him. Didn't hang out with him. Didn't follow him around three years. And then when Jesus is arrested and eventually executed, it, it's, what's really, really interesting is there is no mention of Peter being at Jesus' execution. This is why that's weird. Because almost every moment in Jesus' life, Peter is mentioned there. Almost everything that happens in the biography of Jesus, when you read it, it's always like Peter's right there with him. And when one of the most significant moments in the life of this person that Peter looked up to happened, there is no mention of Peter being anywhere near it. A bunch of amazing faithful women are mentioned. Some other disciples are mentioned. Some people that just got to know Jesus a few days before are mentioned. But Peter's right-hand man, Peter's director of operations, Peter's number two dude, no mention of him being there. And most scholars think that's because Peter wasn't there. Because he didn't want to get caught in this moment. He didn't want to be present. He didn't want to be associated. He didn't want all the problems Jesus were experiencing to become part of his problems. Whether he was there or not, we do know what Peter was doing like in the hours after Jesus' crucifixion and death because one more biographer tells us uh, in John 20, verse 19, it tells us how... um, The first day of the week, the doors were being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Peter was in a safe house. He was in a safe house, hiding away, locked away in the safe room, because he's like, man, if those guys that arrested Jesus come, I've got to protect myself. I don't want to be near them. Here's what we see about Peter. Here's some kind of observations about Peter in his before moment. He avoided being too close to Jesus. In the before moment, he denied knowing Jesus. He's not specifically named at being at the present at the crucifixion, and he's hiding away, locked in a safe house somewhere in some mystery location because he doesn't want to be caught. That is what Peter is like before Easter Sunday. Before. But then there's this amazing snapshot. There's this amazing snapshot of Peter just a month or two after Easter. And it's a, it's a fascinating before and after situation because where Peter was before Easter, he's not in that same place after Easter. We're, we're about two months after Easter Sunday, and Jerusalem, it's this high holiday for the Jews, and Jerusalem is packed. I mean, you think like New Year's Eve in New York City, right? Tons of people everywhere. And Peter's giving this sermon. Peter's giving this conversation. And here's what Peter is saying, right? He's part of the action. And we read about how there's devout men from every nation under heaven. And here's what Peter is saying to these people in the city that day. He's talking to this crowd. 
And he says, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. A few days, right, a month or so ago, Peter's like, I don't know the guy. I don't know anything about him. I don't want to talk about him. Let me get. And this day, Peter's like, hey, there was this dude named Jesus, and you guys wrongly executed him. He's boldly talking about Jesus. Peter had this before and after moment. It's before and after moment. Before Easter, Peter's running and hiding. Before Easter, what we see is Peter's trying to avoid attention. Before Easter, Peter's denying Jesus. Before Easter, Peter is hopeless and scared. But after Easter, man, Peter is in the center of the action. Peter is visible in the city. Peter is defending Jesus. Peter is hope-filled and confident. Peter went from running and hiding to in the middle of the action. Peter went from trying to avoid attention to being the center of attention. He went from denying Jesus to defending Jesus, and he went from hopeless and scared to hope-filled and confident. And the question is, between these two things, what was here? What was here? What took Peter from the before to the after? What happened in that moment to change the trajectory of what Peter was doing? Well, Peter tells us. Because in that first sermon, he explains to people what had happened. And he says this in this sermon. You want to know what was here in my story, Peter says? Here's what was here in my story. He says, this Jesus, God raised up. And of that, we are all witnesses. <clears throat> what Peter is saying is, hey, let me tell you all something. I, yeah, I was hiding because I thought it was a lie. I thought Jesus was crazy. I thought he let me down. But now I'm bold and I'm confident. And the reason for that change is because, listen, there is something that happened in my life, Peter would say, that has never, ever happened in my life before, but I saw a dead man walking. That what happened in that space is that I was a witness to this supernatural miracle and this moment. And that moment, that reality, what Peter says, I actually saw, man, it took me from a before to an after. It altered the correct direction of my life. There's more information about what Peter actually witnessed on that day. Because here's what one of the biographers tells us that Peter actually witnessed on that day. This is what happened on the events that we celebrate as Easter Sunday. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and she said to him, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and saw it and believed. Peter, on that Sunday, <clears throat> he what he witnessed is the place that he saw his friend's body being secured, he went there, and that body wasn't there. It was empty. It was empty. 
And Peter's processing that. And later that evening, this moment happens to Peter that he is a witness of. And it explains what happened later that night and a few verses down. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, we read this before, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. So this is Sunday evening. Jesus came and stood among them. And what Peter is saying is, hey, I saw that. I experienced that. And that is why I am bold. I am unapologetic. I am in the middle of this huge New York City, New York, New Year's Eve celebration with thousands of people around. And I am confident about Jesus because that is what I saw. I saw the fact that he is risen. And it moved me from a before to an after. Now, Maybe some of us in this room today, we're in a before place. We're in a before place that maybe tracks with where Peter was to some degree. Maybe we're in a before moment where you and I, we're running. We're running. Maybe we don't know if there's a God. Maybe we know there's a God. Maybe we don't care that there's a God because we're just running somewhere from him. And we think what we're running towards is better, but deep down in the middle of the night, we know it's not. And sometimes when we realize what we're running towards and what we're starting to receive isn't better, what you and I sometimes do in that moment, we just run harder to it. And it keeps lying to us. Keeps letting us down. Over-promising and under-delivering, but man, we're just running. Maybe this morning, our life has gone in a direction we didn't want. And we were like Peter. And we thought to ourselves, hey, well, maybe if I decide to follow Jesus, right, everything's going to be perfect. And we tried it, but something happened. And so we're like, man, I, I don't, I don't want to know the dude. We're denying Jesus. Maybe some of us in this moment, we don't know what we believe spiritually. We don't know what we believe. But what we do know is we feel pretty scared about something. We're like Peter, and we feel pretty hopeless We feel pretty empty. And maybe for you or for some of us, God wants to use this Easter to move us from our before to an after. Maybe God wants to move some of us this moment from a before to an after. An after where there is confidence, where there is peace, and where there is hope. And Peter, in this sermon, tells us how to get there. In this sermon, or in a later sermon, a few weeks later, some other point later, Peter says these words to people about how to get there, right? He's given another sermon. And he says, To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. What Peter's saying is the switch from the before to the after is linked with this, receives forgiveness of sin sins. Many years ago, uh, when we had three kids, we had a green Isuzu Trooper. And a few of you have heard the story probably of our Isuzu Trooper, but maybe a bunch of you have never, never heard it. But it was a green Isuzu Trooper, and our kids were younger. We were living in Atlanta, and they were all in car seats at the time. Now, I don't know if you know anything about Isuzu Troopers, but, uh, I mean, they're an SUV. They're kind of high. They're kind of tall. They're kind of wobbly. And <clears throat> they're narrow. And so 
what we would do is we would be able, through a law of physics, to, to somehow cram all of the three car seats into the car, right? But the back seat of the car was about like the width of this keyboard. And so we would do this magic trick where like my wife would be pushing all three car seats kind of together and we would slam one door, right? And then we'd run over to the other side and you kind of have to do like a football block to like close out of the door. And then when you slammed both doors hard enough, it would like the car seats and they'd kind of be like on top of each other um, and they'd be wedged in there. But we were getting to the point where the kids were going to be out of car seats, and it's like we can't like we can't keep slamming doors like this every time we go to Target because they don't all fit in here, right? And so we decided we had to do one of the worst possible imaginable things in our lives. That we had to do this thing in our story that brought shame to entire family. That we had to get a minivan. And we did. So we're like, okay, we can't keep slamming the door of these cars anymore because um, they don't fit. Well, we're getting bigger. And so we had arranged, we were able to get um, a van out in Oklahoma. We were going to go fly out there. And so uh, it was about, it was a little bit before rush hour in Atlanta. And we were driving uh, in the car in the trooper with all three of our kids and my wife. So my wife and I, we had three kids at the time, little kids, car seats. We're driving to my sister-in-law's in in Atlanta. We're going to drop the kids off. We're going to hop a flight. Boom, get the car. And we're driving along in the car, and we're doing what all families do, right? Kids are fighting in the back, so you're just randomly throwing them goldfish. Just when the goldfish doesn't work, you start throwing them chocolate, right? Just ah, right? So, So no, they're not fighting. No, they're not fighting anymore because you know what we did? We put on the wiggles. Anybody remember the Wiggles? Now I know like all the kids are into Bluey, but we lived in a generation where there was Barney and the Wiggles, right? So we had the Wiggles screaming their little Wiggle songs in the back. We had kids eating the thing. We had the car seat. We had how much longer, how much longer? It's rush hour. We're driving along. We're zipping, blah, blah, blah. And um, I'm driving. And out of the corner of my eye, I see this object kind of just catch my eye, this object kind of starting to come a little towards me. And I'm like, okay, whatever, wiggles, we love the wiggles, we love. And then I kind of notice that this object is still coming towards me. And it's coming faster, <clears throat> and it's coming closer. And then what I notice is this object that's coming faster and closer towards my family in our SUV that's on the way, that's having a great moment and a great day, was a Corvette. A very narrow, a very skinny Corvette, you know, the low-to-the-ground wedged kind of nose. I mean, this thing was barreling towards me. And, and in that moment, I'm kind of like, I, I don't exactly know what I thought, but I think the thought was something like, huh, I think this is about to be interesting. Well, that was an understatement because that thing didn't slow down, and I couldn't get out of the There was nowhere to go. There were, we were going. There were cars. There were cars. And so this, this Corvette, man, it didn't slow down. It sped up, and it actually came. And I, in this moment, I can still remember the sound of the collision. I mean, it was this, this, if you've ever been in anything like this, you know what I'm talking about. It was this metal on metal that hit at a pretty significant high rate of speed. And that Corvette, we're elevated, it's low. That Corvette not only hit us, but it got wedged underneath us. And then what starts to happen when a Corvette gets wedged under a Suzu Trooper, man, we, we started to roll. And I'm holding on to the steering wheel thinking to myself, this isn't good. Now, if you've ever been in that moment, what people tell you about those moments are true. It all goes in slow motion. 
And in slow motion, literally, there is this reverberation of this crunch of metal. There is the squeal of tires. There are kids screaming. There are sippy cups hitting windows. There is glass breaking. There are the wiggles singing. It's all happening at once, and we start to tip. And we, 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 we start to tip, and we boom once, and then we start to roll again, and then we boom back again. And man, time standing still. And I'm thinking to myself, is this it? Literally, I'm thinking to myself, is this it? And my first thought is, man, how's the, kid? How's the family? And I see my wife over there, and, and she's trying to process what's going on. And so I look around to the back seat, and I, I'm like, I don't know what's... And I turn my head, and I see my kids dangling out of their car seats. Dangling out of their car seats. And I'm thinking to myself, well, man, I'm, a da- I'm the guy, I'm the dad. i got to fix this moment. i got to figure out what to do in this moment. And so we're, we're on, right? And I'm trying to get out of the seatbelt, but I'm stuck. I mean, I, it's wedged, the seatbelt's stuck, I can't do anything. A bunch of passerbys come, and they start to try to climb up on the thing, but every time they get near the thing, the thing starts to want to roll again, and so I'm freaking out about that. And I was wedged in this crushed vehicle, trapped by the seatbelt, and I could do nothing, nothing to try to help myself because I was trapped. And in that moment, what I needed to do and what I needed was somebody else to come and help me. I needed somebody else to come and literally rescue me because I couldn't rescue myself. We hear the sirens come. We hear voices. And then we hear... And somehow firefighters use tools to pry open the doors. And I can, all, I can visibly still remember that all of a sudden in that moment with all the noise, all the fear, all the unknowns, man, these arms reached down to where I was. These arms came to where I was trapped in that car and they released through the knife the seatbelt and this firefighter pulled me up to where it was safe. I needed rescue because I was trapped and I couldn't rescue myself. And when Peter is talking about everybody who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins, what Peter is talking about is exactly that same situation. And look, I want to make this as clear as I can, right? And, and some of you, you know, you, if you don't know what Christians believe or you can't figure it out, let me just try to be as clear as I can for you, okay? So even if you don't believe it, at least you know it. But what the story of the Bible is, what Peter's saying is this, is, hey, right? we at one point in our lives were all trapped by something. We all were trapped by something, and what we were trapped by was not a ridiculous driver who hit a minivan that caused us to flip. What we were all trapped by, the story of the Bible, the story of Jesus says, is that at some point in our lives, every single one of us thought we knew better than God. And so we decided, you know what, I'm going to do it my way and not his way. And in that moment, what, what the word is, is man, we, got, we had a relationship with God that was broken. And we ended up getting trapped in our own choice of rebellion and of sin. And in that place, we couldn't rescue ourselves. Well, we could, 
but the solution is 100% perfection. That's what Jesus said before, right, in different days before he's married, like, hey, if you want to figure out how to get to God, I got it for you. Ready? Be perfect. Well, can I just be nice and kind to old lady? Perfect. Yikes. Right? We're stuck. And in the moment that I was stuck, I, it wasn't like I said, hey, firefighters, let me get out. Let me run over the truck of yours. Let me get the jaws of life. Let me hand that to you to help you get me out. I couldn't do anything. I didn't bring anything to the equation. I needed somebody to do for me what I couldn't do for myself. And the story of Easter is that Jesus has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. In the place of sin, God is a just God. God is a just God that knows that sin causes pain, sin causes brokenness. Some of you have experienced that because somebody has sinned towards you. Somebody has done something towards you that was not what God wanted them to do, and it has wounded you, and it has hurt you, right? Because sin causes shrapnel, sin causes damage, and a just God doesn't want that sin to go unpunished because it is bad, but a loving God doesn't want to punish the people trapped in the minivan for their sins because he loves them. And so the quandary, the situation is, okay, how do I be just and punish what is bad, but loving and not punish the people that I love? And Jesus said, God, I'll go down there to where they're trapped. And I'll crawl on top of the wreckage of their lives. And I will reach down to where they are and I will pull them up to where you are. And I will do that as a substitute. I will do that by being punished for them and by being punished instead of them. That's what this means. And I'm going to invite the worship team to come up here, right? And then the question is, well, how do we get that, right? And what's clear is, look, it's not about the Christian story is never about what we need to do for God. The Christian story is never about what we need to do for God, but it's all about what God has done for us. And what's required is faith, response of faith to what Jesus has done for us so that we can be rescued, so that we can be restored to God who thinks that you are amazing. Restored to God who thinks that no matter what's going on in your story, you have value, you have worth, he knows you, he loves you, he's for you, and he adores you. And the after that we have based upon the response to Jesus, right, it doesn't just end here because there's an after, and we've already read the after, and we can read this last passage about what's in store, and here's what Peter writes later. Peter later writes to churches, and he said, hey, for those of you who respond in this moment to forgiveness, the way it alters the trajectory of your life is not just now, but there is an after that is yet to come that is amazing. It's an after that is yet to come, right? That he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that is imperished, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. What the hope is that, man, you may have a bad day tomorrow, but there is an after coming that because of the resurrection of Jesus will be amazing. When there is no more fear, there are no more tears, there are no more ruined dreams, there's just everything we've ever wanted to be when we're in the presence of God because we responded in faith to the substitute of Jesus who has rescued us.
And if Peter were here today, not this Peter, what, what he would say to you is, look, look, all of that is true. I was a witness to it. There was a before in my life, and there is an after in my life, and the thing that came in the middle of those two things is the fact that he is risen. The fact of what changed the trajectory of my life is, now you're going to have to do your part because I'm going to work it till we do it, but that the tomb wasn't empty, it wasn't defeat, the reality is that he is risen. B plus, we're going to go for A, right? Because what some of us are staking everything on is that Peter says, look, man, there's a moment that can change everything. And there is an amazing after the coming, and I was a witness to it, and I'm not making it up, and the tomb is empty because he is risen. So together as a body, as we end our service, let's sing and let's celebrate that fact. I'll invite you to stand, and we'll end our service.